You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Good morning, Ridgecrest. It is so good to be with you, and let me say again, I never want to miss the opportunity to say how much I love you. Now, you may question that love when you turn to our passage of Scripture here in Mark 13 and realize that we're going to be talking about the end of the world, the apocalypse, of all the subjects to talk about during a pandemic. Why in the world would I go to such a passage? Well, the first answer to that question is, it's what's next in Mark. And I am a firm believer that God knows exactly what we need and when we need it, and today we need this. But the second thing to remember is, Jesus doesn't tell us about the end of the world to cause fear to well up. He tells us about the end of times so that we can have courage and strength in the moment. I think that right now, this is the perfect passage of scripture for us, not just for our church, but for all believers. And even those who are right now asking good questions about the gospel, trying to understand who God is. Because listen, we believe very firmly, we know from scripture absolutely that Jesus came and that he's coming again. So let's turn, if you have your copy of scripture handy, to Mark chapter 13. We'll have the verses for you. We're gonna cover kind of the whole chapter, but just to give you the main points here today, we're gonna read verses one through 10 and then pick up in verse 24. Here's what Mark 13 tells us. And he came out of the temple. And as he came out, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Now, if you mark up your Bible, if you like to underline, underline that. That's our first main point today, that idea of see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Now notice verse nine. This is the second place to underline our second point. Be on your guard, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now skip down to verse 24. I want you to see what's happening next here. The coming of the son of man. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven now notice this from the fig tree learn its lesson 
As soon as its branches become tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now notice it says again, be on guard, but notice this, underline this, keep awake, our third point, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Notice it's repeated three times. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, notice the fourth time, stay awake. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you in this moment that you will help us and be with us and guide us. God, we know that you're coming again. So teach us from this passage how we are to prepare for that glorious day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Not too long ago, as I was preparing this sermon, it reminded me of this idea in our culture today of prepping or preppers. There are people who, for many years now, have been anticipating some cataclysmic event, and so they would store up on things and have all of these supplies ready for the end of the world. The definition of a prepper is this, a person who believes a catastrophic disaster or emergency is likely to occur in the future and makes active preparations for it typically by stockpiling food, ammunition, and supplies. Now, right below the definition, there's this. There is no agreement among preppers about what disaster is most imminent. Well, I don't know that anybody saw COVID-19 coming, but there were people who were preparing. Now, we may have made fun of people like that at one time or thought that they were going over the top, but maybe you didn't feel like that was such a, a big mistake after all when things started running out at the grocery store not too long ago. But as I was thinking about this idea of preparing, do you realize that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do in this passage? He is trying to help us prepare for his second coming. He is telling us there in verses 26 and 27 that the Son of Man is coming in the clouds. He's coming with great power and great glory. And those are the words of our Lord. We don't hear much about the second coming and preaching in America these days. Now, maybe in your context, if you're hearing the sermon, and maybe you can say, oh, my pastor talks about the second coming all the time. If so, amen and hallelujah. But I'm afraid that many people aren't talking about the second coming because we've grown so accustomed to the way things are. We're so comfortable in the world today that we're really not anticipating or longing for the second coming. This is not good. The early church was persecuted. The early church realized how dangerous this world was and thus they were always clamoring for Christ to return. Church, I believe that we need to get in that place again. I, as we look to God's word, I think we see Matt, Mark 13 telling us that we need to get to that place again where we are anticipating the coming of Jesus. And it scares me to think that the reason why we are not clamoring for the coming of Jesus is because we're comfortable. We're, we're, we're satisfied. We're satisfied with the status quo of our spiritual lives, the status quo of the world. Now, hear this, the early church was definitely in prepper mode. 
And what they were preparing for was not the next uh, calamity. They lived in a world that was very uncertain, much more uncertain than our world today, but they were preparing every day for the second coming of Christ. They longed to see Jesus return. Church, do we, do we have that longing? Are we ready for Jesus to return? Oh, if we are conforming to this world instead of being transformed by the word of God, then we will not be looking for the second coming. So let's take a very quick survey of this chapter and see what God's word has to tell us. First, don't be led astray. I had you underline that that passage there in verse five. See that no one leads you astray. Now, let's talk about the context of this chapter. If you've ever really been to a, a great a building or a great site in this world like the pyramids in Egypt or the Great Wall in China or some of the beautiful cathedrals in Europe, if you've ever seen anything like that, you're just, wow. Maybe if you've been to New York or Chicago and seen the huge skyscrapers, your mind just gets blown away by these amazing buildings that human beings have constructed. Well, the ancient temple, the temple there in Jerusalem was one of the great buildings of all time. It was a wonder of the world. Even the Romans who knew a lot about building, when they described it, they described it with terms of awe. One modern commentator says that if you were to look at the temple in Jesus's day, it looked like a mountain of marble decorated in gold. Now that's something to see. Now, if you look at what Jesus says here in verses one and two, it's not, very, um, it's not a very happy thought. He says, you see this beautiful building? Now, make no mistake, these men, this would have been the most beautiful building they'd ever seen in their lives. And they were very proud of this as Hebrew people, as Jews. Notice what he says. He says, there's not gonna be one stone left standing on top of the other. This thing's gonna get completely torn down. Wow, what a, what a shock. This, this was something Jesus said more publicly, but it, it shocked the disciples so much that in private they had to say, okay, Jesus, you gotta tell us what's going on here. We need to understand what in the world you're saying. And so he went into greater detail privately. We see that in verses three and following. But here's something to consider, friends. When the most permanent things we can think of are said to be doomed, our own foundations begin to shake. Jesus says these words not to put fear in their hearts, but to get them thinking about reality, that the world that we know and love, so many beautiful things in it, is not gonna last. And the reason why Jesus says this is because we have a propensity to put all of our eggs in this material basket that we think that it's all about today and all about what we have. Jesus says no. If you look here in these passages, you realize that it's, it's very clear that, that even the disciples sort of had a focus on the temple more so than God. And what we need to see here in verse eight is that, that the whole passage, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, there will be earthquakes, etc. cetera. What, what Jesus is saying here is this, there's gonna be chaos. We, we don't, even as Christians, we don't wanna be led astray to think that this world is always gonna work out in our favor. Jesus is clearly saying that there are difficult times coming and he's preparing our hearts so that we will suffer well in the name of Jesus, that we will be watchful of, of the signs and mindful of what is to come. None of us want chaos. None of us wanted this COVID-19 thing, but know this, Jesus is telling us that before he comes back, there will be chaos. There will be chaos. Now, 
I don't want to get into great depth here, but there, there's a strain of theology and teaching and preaching in our day today that says that if we really f- have faith in Jesus and follow Jesus, that the chaos doesn't come, that we just kind of always have things go our way, that we always win. This is absolutely opposite of what Jesus is saying here. He is telling us, don't be led astray by those who promise comforts in this world. Jesus is telling us to not get comfortable with this world so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God. We cannot be led astray. We cannot allow today's news to rule our emotions. We must let God reign, else we will be led astray. We must remain good disciples of Jesus even if the world is collapsing. I know that some of us feel like the world is collapsing. It's not. God is on his throne. Be be sure of that. But don't be led astray. Don't think that because things are tough right now that that means that God has forsaken us. No, in fact, I think that God has our attention like never before and that we can grow like never before. The second thing that we see in the text is be on your guard. I want you to notice, notice this, be on your guard. Now, throughout this chapter, Jesus is repeating sober reality. He's again telling us that the life of faith is not immune to adversity. And we know that Jesus is just about to be hauled before the authorities. Here we're kind of going back a little bit in our study of Mark. We've already talked about the crucifixion. We've already talked about Easter. But as we're going back before that time, we see that Jesus is is talking about persecution coming when it's actually coming to him as well. We see that in Mark 14, 53 and following. But we also know by studying the book of Acts that the disciples themselves were gonna be hauled in front of the authorities, Acts chapter four. Now let me ask you this question. If Jesus was going to be persecuted by the powers that be, if the disciples were persecuted by the powers that be, why do we think that we will never be persecuted? Why do we think that that our Christian faith just gives us a free pass on all of those things? It simply isn't true. And if you're not on your guard for these things, if you're not thinking like this, when the troubles come, a faith that's not built on firm foundations gets washed away. Now look at verse nine. Be on your guard. And it says, for they will deliver you over to councils. Notice this. And you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors. Notice it says, and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. Let me draw your attention to one word. It, it's, it's, it's kind of a dark word, but I, this is an example, I think, where sometimes we candy coat the, the truth a little bit. That word beaten, notice it says that you're gonna be beaten in the synagogues. The Greek word here means to be flayed or skinned. Now that's a pretty gross thought. But Jesus is not just saying you're gonna get punched in the arm or you're gonna have a little bruise that's an inconvenience. He's talking about real pain in this world. We cannot miss this teaching. We cannot pretend as though the church will never suffer when Jesus uses very, very uh, strong language like this. The good news is that even though the world is gonna persecute and prosecute and come after us, God is on his throne and he is sovereign and the gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations. Did you see verse 10 there? Jesus says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Yes, the world is gonna give us trouble, but we, if we are faithful, can still take the gospel message everywhere in the world. That is a tremendous hope. It's not about whether we suffer or not. The Bible pretty much makes it plain that we will. What matters is, is that we are able to share the gospel with all the nations. Jesus lets us know 
that suffering may come, verse 12, and that our hope is the promise that if we endure to the end, verse 13, if we endure to the end, we will be saved. Your salvation is never in question, even if your safety in this world is. It's, a, it's truly a historical reality here that, that when these gospels and the epistles of Paul were being read, the, the, the good news of Jesus had gone out to almost the whole world and people had already experienced sufferings and struggles. Jesus was preparing the early church for what was coming, but I think he was preparing us too. Verse 14 alludes to God's people going to the mountains. Some people think that this is a reference to the Romans coming in and destroying Israel in AD 70, and that the church would have to flee from Jerusalem to survive. That's exactly what happened. Verse 20 says, this is all for the sake of the elect. And the point there is, is that God always preserves his people. False prophets are gonna come out and tell us that everything's gonna be okay. Verses 21 through 23 remind us of that. Look at that text, if you have it open, you'll see there that there are gonna be people that are crying out false truths. But what we need to do is not listen to the false voices. We must be on our guard so that we can hear the word of God, the word of Jesus, and prepare for hard times, trusting in the deliverance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's a word of comfort and encouragement to you. When you are in Christ, you will remain in Christ no matter what happens. If you are truly saved, no matter what comes your way, you will be able to withstand those trials. Revelation 2.10, listen to this. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That was a message delivered directly to the church of Smyrna, directly talking about their suffering. But why is it recorded in scripture? Because I believe that God knew that we would need these words. The scripture is telling us, showing us things that happened in history. This, this, this whole story, what was gonna happen in Jerusalem as the Romans would come in and destroy the temple, which is the context here, that was all like a mini apocalypse, sort of a, a foreshadowing of, of what would happen in the real end times. And so what we need to realize here is that God's word again and again is setting us up so that we can be strong. And church, hear this. When we stand on guard for Jesus, we are never alone. You will never be alone if you stand for Jesus. The passage that comes to my mind is the three Hebrew children in the furnace. They had a fourth one standing there with them. If you stand up for Jesus, Jesus will always be with you. Look at verse 11 of our passage. It says that the Holy Spirit will even give us the words to say when we need it. God's word is telling us that we will suffer, but we will not suffer alone. We will not be without words. We will not be without the, the kind of, uh, of power we need, we will be strong. Now, the last point is this, stay awake. I have decided that this third point, stay awake, is the best third point in any sermon ever given because stay awake is usually what I need you to do by the third point, okay? Staying awake. But I'm not just saying that so that you listen to my sermon. I'm saying that because Jesus repeats it four times. Now, what does that mean? Why does God's word tell us to stay awake four times? Well, it's because you're not the only one that gets sleepy in church. You're not the only one that has a tendency to tune out 
when God's word is being preached. Do you realize that every time you tune out when God's word is being preached, it may be because you stayed up too late last night or it could be spiritual warfare. Do you realize if we're not like constantly reminding ourselves to focus, we're gonna lose focus and then we're gonna miss what God has for us. So literally and figuratively, will you stay awake? Listen to this. In verses 24 through 37, Jesus is taking the the, the conversation in a slightly different way. Be on guard. Uh, That last point was really about looking out and seeing the dangers that are around you in the culture. That there are going to be false prophets. That there are going to be those who are saying things that aren't true. But this last point of staying awake, Jesus wants you to stay awake so that your eyes stay on him. So in the one sense, the last point was, you know, be alert to your surroundings. But this point is more an exhortation for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to to have this, this mindset where we're looking around us and we're always taking stock of what's happening in the world. But we don't want to get so focused on what's happening in the world that we stop looking at Jesus. This COVID-19 situation that's happening in America, it is, it is so easy to let that dominate every ounce of your being. But Christian, you can't afford to do that. Your faith gives you the ability to look up instead of just out and around. And that's what I think is the real benefit of this passage today because Jesus is encouraging his disciples but encouraging us today, his modern day, current day disciples to stay awake and to look for where he's at work. Jesus is at work today. Even though we can't get out like we'd like to and do the things we wanna do, God is at work. Now, if you'll look there at verse 28, very quickly, I want you to see that he throws in a little illustration. Jesus sort of had a love-hate relationship with fig trees, it seems like, in Mark's gospel. Um, This is not one where he's gonna curse the fig tree. So if you're a a lover of fig trees, this fig tree was not hurt in the preaching of this sermon, okay? Uh, This fig tree, though, serves as an illustration. Now, here's something we don't realize. In our part of the world, the seasons change and most of the trees change with the season. So we're used to that. But in the ancient Near East and, in the, and still in the Near East today, there are very few trees that have seasonal cycles. The fig tree is one that does. And so if you didn't have KY3 weather to watch, um, you know, you had to look for signs in the, in, the, in the world for when the seasons were changing. And one of the ways that you did there in Palestine know that spring was coming is that you would see the fig tree begin to bloom. That was one of the few trees that did that. And so Jesus says, hey, you guys have learned to pick up on the cues of nature to know when certain things are coming. So if you'll notice what Jesus says is, I'm gonna give you some of those signs so that you're ready for when, for when the season changes spiritually, when I'm coming again. And then notice verse 32 through 36. It's, it's a reminder that nobody knows for sure when it's coming but we have to make sure that we open our eyes. Jesus is saying to them and to us, open your eyes. Stay awake, why? 
because you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. We can learn from the scriptures what's coming next. The Bible tells us, verse 31 there, that that his words, Jesus' words, will not pass away. What God has told us in the word is gonna happen. Wars and rumors of wars and all these things that are mentioned. This is fact, this is truth. This is what God's word has told us. Jesus is giving us the, the, the signs of the change of seasons, but we have to open our eyes. The church today, many times, I don't think is opening its eyes to see the signs around us. We interact with the culture, but we're not really saying, Jesus, help me see how this connects. Show me how all this is working. Give me the, the, the power and the, and the influence I need for a time such as this. I'm here to tell you that, that Jesus is, is crying out to the church today, not just 2,000 years ago, but today, open your eyes. Is calamity around us? Yes. But this has not caught Jesus off guard one bit. Wake up. Realize that you have Jesus. You have everything you need in him. You see, I believe the second coming is coming. And, and the question that, that many Christians might ask is, well, what should I do? Well, let me give you the advice that Elizabeth Elliot gives, uh, gave as, what a great uh, servant of the Lord she was. She's gone on recently to go to, to be with the Lord, but this woman knew a lot of suffering. She wrote a little book called Suffering is Never for Nothing. It's a little book, I highly recommend it, just published last year. And in that book, someone asked her, what do you do when you have chaos surrounding you? And she said, you know, you do the next thing. Do the next thing. Church, don't look around at the pandemic and lose your mind. Ask Jesus, get your eyes on Jesus and ask Jesus to tell you, Lord, what is the next thing I need to do? Lord Jesus, tell me what's next. And if you do that, I think the Lord will show you where you need to work. Verse 35 tells us that the master of the house will come. You don't know when, you don't know exactly how, but you need to just love Jesus with all your heart today and with all your strength and might, and it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Do the next thing. Ask the Lord to show you what that is. You see, we are not preparing often for the second coming because we're satisfied. As we wrap things up here today, I think you see here in Mark 13 that the tone and tenor of the passage is urgency. And, and over the years, having pastored churches now for right at 25 years or so, I can tell you that, that there hasn't been a lot of urgency in evangelical faith. We, we kind of do church like we assume that tomorrow will be just another day, that next Sunday we'll go through the, the routine and the motions again. But that's not necessarily true. I'm gonna ask you, when was the last time you sensed any urgency in your Christian faith? If there's no urgency, let me tell you what that means. That's symptomatic of a heart that's grown comfortable with the world. And one of the reasons why the church is failing so many, so many times and in so many ways in our day is that the church has grown comfortable with the world. A church that is anticipating the second coming is not comfortable with this world. Is your soul ready? 
Are you ready for this Mark 13 message? Is your heart ready for that day when Jesus comes again? If you have not placed your faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, if you're not trusting in the power of his resurrection to give you eternal life forever, then you are not ready. You need to humble yourself and ask Jesus to come into your heart of hearts. That's the priority. But there are so many church members today, I think our priorities have been off. Our urgency has been lacking. We might make fun of people who are preppers, who are anticipating a cataclysmic event. But do you realize if you're a Christian that the scriptures are not saying it might happen, but the second coming that the end of the world might happen, it's saying it will. Are you ready for that? What in your life, day by day, is showing the world that you're not living for this world? Christian, what what is it in your life that is definitively marking you out as someone who has more than this world has to offer? If you fit right in with everybody else, then you're missing one of the great advantages of being a Christian, and that is urgency and expectation. The expectation that Jesus is coming again Let that light up your life and be a beacon to all who are in the darkness. Will you make that commitment today, Christian, to follow Jesus and to be that light, to have that urgency? And if you are not yet a follower of Christ, will you call the phone number on your screen and talk with someone so that we can explain to you in more detail all the blessed love and salvation of Jesus. The second coming is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.